0: Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, welcome uh, to the Air Vipa Studios here in beautiful Phoenix, Arizona. I'm Chris Warden, joined uh, as usual and matching, in fact, uh, by Andy Jones-Wilkins. Andy, I'm really excited about our conversation today because this is something that I witnessed firsthand with you a couple weeks ago. Of course, it is Western state season, and I went to uh, Auburn and to... Uh, the Western States course with you, and I saw your enthusiasm and your excitement and how much this race means to you. So I'm really excited to talk about the race this year uh, and everything that's go- that it's going to entail. Um, what does Western States mean to you?
1: Well, it's the best week of the year, first of all, uh, and I'm thrilled to be able to share it with our, our our Viper audience. What does it mean to me? I mean, it's, it's Christmas and the World Series and the Super Bowl. Uh, all rolled into one. I mean, it's a, it's a special event. It's a, it's a bringing together of people who may have not seen each other for a year, uh, doing something that uh, is really, really hard and doing something in a very special place. So what it means to me most of all is that bringing together of the, of the, of the group.
0: Describe your initial experience with Western States, if you could. Obviously, uh, for those that are unfamiliar, uh, AJW has uh, 10 sub-24-hour finishes, seven top-10 finishes. But uh, uh, describe your initial experience with the race and uh, you know what happened when you got there for the first time.
1: Yeah, so I first ran the race in 2001, which was a year... Back then, you probably had, in a typical year, like a 50-50 chance of getting picked in the lottery. Oh, You had to to run a (laughs) qualifier. The qualifiers were wide open, any 50-miler under a certain time or something like that. So I was selected in the lottery in 2021, in in 2001, and I ran the race. And I thought I was a big, big deal. (laughs) And it turned out that I wasn't. Uh, You know, I made all the rookie mistakes, I... Uh, the batteries ran out on my uh, flashlight, My the string on my shorts broke, and I had to hold up my shorts for the last 20 miles. Uh, my quads got shot like halfway through. I made the mistake of running with Ann Trayson for a little while. That was a bad <laughs> idea. So, I mean, my initial experience with it was like it is for many people, a pretty negative one, but it was also some something I really learned from and was able to build on afterwards. So uh, from that point on, here we are 22 years later, and and the Western States 100 is is just in my blood. It's it's not only something that I do and something that I participate in, but it's a huge part of who I am.
0: Absolutely, and that's one of the things that I was really uh, honored to witness was the fact that you haven't run this race in quite a while, but you've maintained your attachment to and your involvement with Western states. No matter where you've been living, you've been living all over the country. We know that. You've kind of got this vagabond uh, um, existence as far as like where you've worked and where you've lived. But whether you were living at back east, down in Arizona, up in Idaho, you've always made it back to Western states every year. We even talked about this when we were driving to and from Auburn, how... Your kids, like, you know, your sons may have been, you know, moving to a new school or to a new community. But the one thing that they could always count on was returning to Auburn every single year.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the one part of our life that's sort of home through all this vagabond existence. Uh, I remember a guy I trained with for a long time in the Bay Area, Kevin Sawchuck. Who does medical at western states now he got his 10-day buckle i think it was in 2011 or 2012 and i remember when he made his speech after receiving his 10-day buckle he said i'm retired from running western states and i'll come back every year at least for 10 years to volunteer now he has really valuable skills he's a doctor and they deploy him around the course and and of course he's gone longer than 10 years I kind of felt the same way. So when I ran it for the last time in 2014, my kids were still there, but they were grown. The kids who had been three and four and six when we first went there were now teenagers and were pacing me to my finish in 2014. But I remember saying to Craig Thornley, the race director, you know what? I'm, I'm all in. I am committed to volunteering, to being part of this race for as long as you'll have me. And, you know, here we are now nine years later and they continue to have me. So um, if you're looking for me on the fourth Sunday, Saturday (laughs) or Sunday in June, you know where you'll find me on the somewhere along the Western States course.
0: Actually, for a good portion, you'll actually be right about here.
1: I will be right about here. Here is, uh, uh, looks like Max King uh, from a few years ago coming into Michigan Bluff, Mm -hmm. uh, which is the Mile 55 aid station. He's about to make a right-hand turn where the aid station is at Carol Hewitt's house and... All of the crews and Pacers and everybody will be awaiting. There it is. There's Carol's house, uh, the headquarters of the Michigan <laughs> Bluff Social Club, and and that's just a, it's a wonderful spot on the course and something that uh, a, a place where I'll probably be for about eight nine hours on race day.
0: Absolutely, that was one of the places you brought me to and introduced me to the people, and that's one of the magical things about Western states is the history of the race and how impactful it is to you on a personal level and also to that community i mean i was honored to hang out with people who had run the race 20 30 40 years ago and who have you know multiple top 10 finishes from the 70s and 80s and they treated me you know with open arms and welcome welcome to me and i loved having hanging out and having dinner with everybody i hardly knew a soul but they made me feel like i was welcome and that's really one of those things it's I mean I guess it's kind of a corollary to what we have here in the Aravipa community where it's it's a very close knit community, but it's also a very welcoming one as well, as you know, we have people coming in from outside all the time and we do our best to make sure that we appreciate their presence.
1: I would say this that, you know, Western states as it's become this event that is so difficult to get into, and this year roughly eighty five, eighty six percent are first timers the way the veterans can continue to give back and be a presence in the event is at places like Michigan Bluff and in in, in places like uh, pacing and crewing runners or or working as volunteers or or just being part of the event and and you see it happening in, in a in a smaller scale with Aravipa, but uh, just recently last October with the 20th anniversary of the Havelina 100 and bringing back Jerry Calgariff, one of the founders. I mean, Western States has a 30-year head start on Havelina, but nonetheless, there's there's that richness and that feeling of community. And and if you can provide an opportunity for athletes and runners and participants to continue to be involved and continue to be honored after their running and their competitive years are over. It's likely that you'll continue to have them part of the event. That's certainly what's driving me to wake up at four o'clock tomorrow morning <laughs> and, and drive right up there to Auburn because you know it's something. I just get this this flutter in my heart every year around this time, the mid midweek before the race, and and uh, and I just can't wait to get up there and, and be with my people. So I, I hope everybody at some point, whether they run the race. Go to Memorial Day training camp, pace a runner, crew a runner, gets to feel that Western States magic because there are times that Western States w- suffers from a little bit of um, of uh, you know uh, attention fatigue and and people wonder why it's such a big deal and why there's so much hype around it and I would just encourage people before they weigh in on that to go check it out and be part of it. There's all kinds of ways to be part of it, and once you've done that, I think you'll understand.
0: Absolutely, and and as somebody who attended uh, training camp for the first time, I was blown away by, you know, the atmosphere. And to be honest, as somebody who's not attended the race, frankly, I'm okay with not attending the race, until I actually get into the race, because it sounds like there's a lot going on, a lot of moving parts and, uh, you know, a little bit of chaos. I mean, obviously, you know, whenever you've got a large race such as this, a point-to-point heading, basically following down a single road where, you know, uh, you've got 380 or so runners with their crew and pacers heading, you know, following the action. I'm going to stay clear of it unless I'm working or running at this race. I, I don't really feel like, at least until I run it, eventually hopefully uh i don't really feel like i want to be an in-person spectator i'm cool with like hanging back and seeing what they do on the live stream like that's one of the great things about western states is that uh through the efforts of the race and billy yang that they're able to actually bring it to us uh you know around the world and and they deal with uh some difficulties in terms of logistics that we don't deal with with a lot of our races here so that's one of the things that i would like to give kudos to them about is the fact that the first half of that race there's really not a lot of cell coverage there's not a lot of ability to get uh you know fresh uh active shots on the course so you're kind of at the mercy of of you know what you can get in terms of you know, of signal out there. So
1: I'll offer a different perspective too. I I completely understand why you might not want to attend the race (laughs) as a spectator until you actually run it. If you flip that and think about my point of view, I, I never attended it as a spectator until after I'd run it 10 times. I had no idea, for example, how difficult it was for my crew to get to some of these aid stations. <laughs> I had no idea how long folks had to wait for the shuttle to come to pick them up or the hike into a Pointed Rock's aid station or something like that. There's something that the runners, the runners are so insulated from some of the reality of Western states that I think everybody, everybody who runs it should see the other side. I mean, when I think of the weekend I'm going into this weekend, I mean, I'm going to be working parking at Robinson flat, a really, really important job, Yeah, not a whole lot of glamour around it, but you know what, if the parking system goes awry and the forest service gets upset, you know, <laughs> that could be mean bad news for the race. So, uh, so there are roles for all kinds of people in all kinds of ways to make sure that that race goes off without a hitch. So I think it's, I think you're making, the right move coming to memorial day training camp was was fantastic to have you there Mm -hmm. it was so much fun to see your reaction to just seeing the trail for the first time and and all of the place names you know there's so many place names at western states you know no hands bridge and rocky chucky and michigan bluff and swinging bridge and you know when you can put, put a name to the face, so to speak. There's something kind of special about it. Absolutely.
0: We talked about that, you know, very, uh, uh, distinctly at Roby point, especially that was one of my favorites was that you had story stacked on top of stories about experiences, not only for yourself, but for other runners as well. You know, talking about, you know, the, the last time you finished in the top 10 and how it basically came down to seconds, you know, on the track and everything like that. Um, I guess that's, that's probably a good way to pivot. Um, the Western States course, uh, a lot of people might not understand like what makes it so difficult because when you see the, the base numbers and the elevation profile, 17,000 feet is a fair amount of climb, but it's not like... An extremely daunting, I mean when you talk about other 100 milers, you know, you're t- you know there's 20,000, 30,000 or more feet of climb. At Western States, it's 17,000 feet or so and a net downhill of what, 5,000 feet,
1: I believe? Yeah, so 22,000 down, yes. 17 up, give or take. So why is it so difficult? Well, you've got to be a downhiller, first of all. <laughs> I mean, you, just do the math. You're starting at around 6,000 and you're finishing at around 1,000. Mm-hmm. So just, and, and there's a bunch of stuff in, in the middle there. So first of all, you've got to be ready for the downhills. Second of all, you've got to be ready for the way that race kind of gets in your head. <laughs> I mean, maybe you've been trying your whole life to get in. Maybe you've got a golden ticket and you're favored to win. Maybe you're somewhere in between. Maybe all you want to do is get a golden hour finish. Whatever it is, that race sort of becomes larger than life. It's it's sort of like if you were to imagine standing on the first tee, you're a golfer and you're standing on the first tee at St. Andrews and And all of a sudden there's a bunch of people watching, you know, are you going to hit it straight down the middle or are you going to jack it into the, you know, into the ocean? So there's a little bit of jacking it into the ocean that happens in Western (laughs) States. So that has an impact on people. But the other thing is it just it is a race that wears you down in a kind of relentless way. You know, years ago, Joe Johan Joe wrote a wonderful uh, two-part essay in Iron Far called The Western State's Killing Machine. And what he talked about was how it's not like, it doesn't just kick you in the face like something like Hard Rock or UTMB, but it wears you down. You think, oh, this is easy. This is a nice, gentle descent. And then there's a few climbs. I'll give you a perfect section for that. Everybody gets to Forest Hill and thinks, oh, I'm at mile 62. At mile 78, I'm gonna be down at the river. I'm basically just running downhill to the river. Mm-hmm. But for about a five mile section in there between Cal one and Cal two, yes, you're net going down to the river, But each time you go two steps down, you turn back and you go one step up. And you go two steps down and you go one step up. And two steps down and you go one. And remember, you've been climbing all day. You've gone through the canyons. You've been through the heat of the day. You're like, I thought we were supposed to go all the way down to the river here. And you're like, yeah, you are, but you're going to turn and go up a little bit. Those sorts of little things wear on you mentally, especially at the time of the race that they come. Such that when you get to mile 80, which everybody says, oh, from there, it's super easy and runnable. The vast majority of the people have no run left in them. That's true. And they're just trying to get through. But those who do have run left in them, are gonna, they're going to crush it.
0: Yeah. Um, one of the things that we always talk about as we cover races, whether it be Black Canyon or uh, you know, Bandera or uh, you know, heavily in 100 Western states, they always say the race begins at blank. Where does Western States begin?
1: <laughs> well, it's interesting you ask. You know, Tim Tweetmeyer, the 25-time finisher, five-time winner, would say Western States begins at Forest Hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I was talking to a couple of the women's contenders uh, earlier this month, they were like, yeah, I think it starts at the river, which is mile 78. Yeah. So no matter how you slice it, it starts somewhere between 62 and 78, the racing part. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that for for the middle middle of the and the back of the Packer, it really kind of starts when you enter the canyons. Uh, So you you, you run through the high country, you get to Robinson flat at mile 30, so you've done more or less of a 50K, basically a mountainous 50K. Then you have about a 13 mile downhill. Not steep, but gradually going downhill. And then at mile 43, you start going through the canyon. So for a middle and back of the packer, I would say when you get to mile 43, you need to ask yourself how you're doing, how you're feeling, how's your nutrition, how are your quads holding up? Do you you have any feet issues? Because you're going that next 19 miles, you're going down, up, down, up, down, up. Uh, And a lot happens in that stretch.
0: Well, One of the things about that, talking about the canyons, um, this year's Western States is going to have a different look to it at that point in the course. Uh, Can you describe your experiences in the past versus what the runners, uh, for those unfamiliar, uh, the mosquito fire mm-hmm. was the fire that hit and came so close to houses in Michigan bluff uh, i actually might have actually claimed some it did claim some, some houses, houses in michigan bluff yeah uh, it's right there i mean you at, you're coming into michigan bluff and you're coming out of a basically a singed forest or the remnants of a singed forest. Uh, can you describe how that's going to change things for the runners this year as opposed to years past? Well,
1: as you remember, on Memorial Day, we went we, we took a jog down to, to see a little bit from Michigan Bluff, so heading back up the course. In general, the Mosquito Fire basically singed 16 trail miles of western states, uh, roughly mile 50, so about five miles before you get to Michigan Bluff to mile 66. Shortly after you go through Forest Hill, you go down to the first aid station on Cal Street. The impact of that 16 miles is hard to tell right now. But what we do know is the shade that used to exist in those places, the nice oak trees and manzanitas are gone. So whether it's a hot day or a medium hot day or whatever it is, you're going to be exposed to the sun starting shortly after you leave the Devil's Thumb Aid Station and begin the descent to El Dorado all the way through Forest Hill and into the Cal Street section. Furthermore, while they've done incredible work getting that trail back up to speed and getting the tread right and there's soot and dust and it's just it's just not the way it should be there's there's (laughs) you know you
0: had mentioned um when we were uh heading there talking about how different it was in terms of like having that full canopy and even a little bit of uh i guess gamesmanship available to the runners in terms of like not being able to see where they stood uh, based on what I saw out there, there's no hiding uh, anymore on the way to Michigan Bluff.
1: No, there's not. And you can see, and, and I, it was interesting to give you a sense of how the runners felt. I spoke to two runners Casey Lichteye who's run the race eight times, is coming back for her ninth, and Katie Asmuth, who's run it twice, top 10 the last two times she's run it. And both of them had, and I talked to them at Michigan Bluff on Memorial Day training camp. Both of them had a similar reaction. It's kind of depressing down there.
0: I can understand.
1: And and that's kind of an interesting, you know, here they are running with all their friends, having this great time. But when you think about being 52 miles into a 100 miler and potentially feeling like, oh, this is kind of depressing, one wonders what kind of impact that might have on a run i'm not saying it'll have any impact on the front of the race or who wins or whatever else but we know we run a lot on feel we run a lot on how being in the environment makes us feel and having beautiful views or smooth trails or something like that and when when both katie and casey said that and they looked around and they were just like this just is like um it'll be interesting to see how that affects the front of the field but also everybody else you know it's like all of a sudden you're in this place that's kind of like a wasteland
0: yeah and and that's one of the things that's kind of a, a just unfortunate it's an unfortunate fact of running out here in the western united states we've seen it here in arizona colorado california that wildfires do uh on on sometimes uh, take whole swaths of our running community the difference is is that in most cases i don't know about you like for instance we had the uh bushfire out here in uh and mount ord was uh ablaze uh, you could see it from 40 miles away the thing is is that we just didn't run on mount ord yeah. so unlike that at western states you've got to go through the canyons. Right. Yeah. so yeah I there's no there's that.
1: no reroute possible for, for those for I, I think
0: that that might actually be a bit of an advantage you know uh, psychologically, to those who have already been through it and seen what it looks like, that w- those were th- that were there uh, Memorial Day weekend, those who might sneak down this week and check it out. Because if you have an emotional attachment, such as I know you do, and I know Casey does for sure, like if they, if if, if a runner has you know that emotional feel to it and sees the canyons, it could be an emotionally jarring situation. Mm-hmm. Now maybe they can recover and get over it and just rely on their pure running count. But at the same time, it, it's really. A, it's going to be interesting to see how the runners handle yeah, that. It will, be. Um, it will be. One last aspect of uh, what they're going to have to handle on the course before we get into the runner specifics. Um, what do we know about the snow up at the front well, of the race?
1: Yeah, it's looking like it's going to be a snowier race than it's been in the last four years, mm-hmm. uh, probably going back to... It's probably gonna be as snowy as twenty seventeen, which means patches for the first thirty miles, sometimes big patches. You won't have you won't have runners running for five consecutive miles on snow, but you'll have a lot of transition, run over a snow bank get down on dry ground, go up to another snowbank, go down to sort of muddy, slushy stuff. It will not be a good situation for getting a rhythm. Yeah. Once they get to mile 30 Robinson Flat or 31, the snow will be gone and there'll be it'll be sort of smooth, clean trail at that point. So I think for both the front of the pack, the middle of the pack and the back of the pack, they're going to need to think about, okay, managing the snow, getting through the snow, finding a shoe that's going to work. Uh, It's going to transition from being frozen to being sort of semi-frozen like corn snow to being just full-blown slush. So I think that transition plus just having to have wet feet for 30 miles is something runners are just going to have to deal with. That makes sense.
0: Um, uh, Pivoting to the field, I guess we can just dive right into the women's field. Um, Of course, uh, the very top of last year's field is not returning uh, to Western States this year. But that doesn't mean that... uh, uh, it the field is not stacked I uh, when it came to making my fantasy picks and trying to find a top 10 I was stalling at 16 and that's in that also takes into account the fact that we have three highly talented women three women that I probably would have put in the top 10 or at least strongly considered it in uh, Stephanie Flippin, Devin Yanko and Marianne Hogan all not being a part of the race this year for varying uh, reasons and concerns. Uh, hopefully, uh, all of them are you know, recovering and recuperating from whatever ailments uh, befell them uh, to cause them to have to drop out of Western states. But uh, I feel like the discussion on the women's side really starts and begins with one name. I mean, Courtney DeWalter is running this race. And it has been over five years since Courtney DeWalter has not finished first in a trail altar that she has completed. That's an absolutely staggering thing. Yeah. Like it's literally been like one DNF, at hard rock. And other than that, five years, she's been untouchable and she's won some of these races by large margins. Uh, you know, what's your thought on uh, Courtney coming back to Western States for the first time since uh, 2018 and uh, seeing what she can do here?
1: Well, I mean, it's 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 hard. Well, she was in. Actually, she was in 2019. Remember, oh, yes. she she did drop with a with That's a hip right. injury yes. at the river. But um, I mean, it's unless you're Finn Melanson, it's impossible to bet against court. <laughs> you know? uh, and so any race Courtney's in, you know, you got to you got to you got to pick her to win. Yeah. And, and I'm definitely picking her to win. Um, she is focused. She's not thinking about hard rock. She hard rock will be there when, when, you know, when she finishes this, she wants to run this race hard. She wants to win it. You know, she, she doesn't usually think about course records, but, uh, but she's, she's running it to win it. And, uh, and she have to be the prohibitive fair favorite. Uh, you cannot ignore. However, Katie shot. Yeah. Uh, you know, yes. A mountain runner, someone who's an American living in Europe. I mean, I talked to her coach, Jason Coop, a couple of months ago, and he had to convince her that, you know, you know, you don't get to run with poles at Western State. (laughs) Like she does everything with poles over there. Yeah. Right. But there's two runners who were not in the race last year who I think could either of them could could win the race. Then you've got this really interesting situation, right, where you've got this group of women who were in the race last year in the second five. Yeah, five, six, okay. seven, eight, nine. Right. So all coming are, back. These are not in order, but Leah Yingling, Katie Asmuth, Camille Heron, Emily Hawgood, Taylor Nolan. Yeah. Okay. They were five through 10. Now, if you look at the history of the race, oftentimes women and men who finish in the six, seven, eight learn their stripes and come back. Then. I mean, I'll never forget when Timothy Olson finished sixth in 2011 and won the race in a course record. In 2012, mm-hmm. so I would not, I would not fall asleep on any of those, uh, of of Leah, Katie, Emily, Taylor, and Camille yeah. as runners who did the race last year, conducted themselves well and ran an amazing race. Then you have you have Courtney and Katie, uh, and then dropped out. But I saw you put her pretty high on your picks. Uh, she dropped out, I believe, last year, but is a strong runner and came back guns a blazing at Black Canyon to get her golden ticket, and that's Keely Henninger. Yeah, and I have to imagine that Keely wants this bad. Mm-hmm. So in the in the you know uh, in the have never run it before but are really talented, you have Katie Shide yeah. you have have run it before but didn't run it last year or didn't finish it last year. You have Courtney. And Katie and Courtney and uh, and Keeley, and then you have last year's, uh, you know, five through ten. So right there. You've got an incredible group. And then I know where you're smiling about. You've got <laughs> Heather Jackson. An absolute wild card. She burst on the scene here at Havelina came over from Ironman, has embraced the sport. Uh, her partner Wadi has embraced the sport. I spent a bunch of time with them at Black Canyon. She's continued to race gravel at the same time as she's running ultras and, I mean, she wowed us for four loops at Javelina, yes. Uh before, you know, fading to a fourth place finish. But, you know, that's a group of 10 women right there. Yes, really sad that Devin and Marianne and uh, Stephanie. Stephanie are not here. But just that group of 10. Wow.
0: And there's several other names that, like, for instance, talking about first timers in addition to Heather Jackson, Eda Nielsen.
1: Yeah. Who is I like, can't believe she's a first timer, by yeah, the way. She seems like, like she's been around forever. Yeah,
0: she's <laughs> been uh racing here in Arizona for several years, has the Crown King course record, came out to Black Canyon, was, you know, in the lead or right at the front of the pack in Black Canyon, fell apart at the end, but then came back at Canyons and imposed her will on that course. So I feel like Ida is somebody that we have to talk about as well. Um Megan Morgan, you know, who finished yeah. third at Black Canyon. Uh, I mean, we've got some, Nicole Bitter is a name we haven't even, hit I yet. I can't
1: believe we just didn't mention Nicole Bitter. We, She's got five, the most Western States finishes of this group.
0: Yeah, four or five top ten finishes. I mean, another amazing athlete. I saw Nicole out there on, uh, on uh, Memorial Day weekend doing her homework. I mean, and that's not even like, that's not even taking into account a lot of the the foreign runners, um, such as uh, like the golden ticket winners from uh uh, from Asian races and from, you know, from some of the European races, it's such a hard, difficult race to, uh, uh, to handicap because there's just so much talent. Like I said, I came down to 16 or 17 names for my top 10 and I deleted and re cut paste over and over again, trying to find it. And I can see that, like, I know for a fact, I've got one name, um, you know, omitted uh, from my top 10 that, that is way high on yours. So I guess we can just dive right into it in terms of the women's field. Um, uh, what you got?
1: Uh... Well, a couple of thoughts, I guess. I want to say first on. I think the as has been the case in the last several years, I think the women are going to race smart. Mm-hmm. So if you go back to 2019, Courtney uh, went off the front, uh, and there was really a chase pack as far back as half an hour with Claire Gallagher, Brittany Peterson, a few others, and once Courtney dropped, it really became kind of a pack race. I don't know if Courtney will do that again. I It's four years later. She might go off the front. She might have a few chasers with her. Um, but I think it will be much more of a tactical race in large part because of this first 30 miles. Yes. So let's talk about Camille for a second. In terms of Ross foot speed, right? If this was a dry, clean course, you would be hard pressed not to pick Camille for a podium spot if not for the win. But she's had enough tough time with the technical stuff, with the snow. I mean, I remember when she dropped out in 2017 at Red Star Ridge, mile 16. She had fallen three times. I think even had fallen on her face at one point. Like, it had been rough. She is the first to admit she's not, like, dialing in this, like, sloppy technical stuff. Yeah. I think if Camille makes it through that first 30 and she's in range, it's game on. Yeah. What? What Courtney and Katie and the rest of these top five, the uh, second five from last year, do through there will do a lot to determine uh, how this plays out. You asked where the race starts. I think for the women's race, it is definitely not going to start until the river crossing. Okay. I think you've got. I mean, the Emilys and the Leah's and the and the Taylors, uh, and the Katie Asmiths, They're going to be smart in the high country, and they're going to be be even smarter through the burn through the, through the burn scar. Yeah, but they they get to Cal two, and they know the river crossing is coming. They know there's a couple hours till the cool of night, and it's going to be game on. So I I think more than most years that I've watched this race, there's a real chance that the winner could come from a chase pack if there's any faltering up front with uh, with Courtney, Katie, or Camille.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, you know, that's what it comes down to. I think that we both agree. I mean, you know, I don't think it would be, you know busting open any surprises in terms of who we think is the likely the prohibitive favorite in this race but it's obviously it has happened before where Courtney was not able to finish the race and then it is game on and then it's you know anybody's race and if it's not Courtney it could genuinely be one of 14 or 15 people if they have the great day and that's one of the things about Camille that I look at is that if Camille's having a great day, she's arguably unbeatable. But the course is not going to be playing in her favor. So I think that we both have her, you know, potentially having a successful day, depending on your version of success. She might not call it successful because I know how badly she wants to win this race. But I think that she is going to have a potentially a strong showing. At least yeah. that's all right. You know. So here's
1: my top ten. You ready? Sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll jump right in. All right. Courtney DeWalter,
0: number okay.
1: one. Katie Shide. Keeley Henniger. So there's your podium. Camille. Camille. fourth. fourth really? Mm-hmm. The snow keeps melting. It's not <laughs> be hot. Who knows? I mean, she may have a lot of dirt to run on. Leah Yingling, perhaps one of the smartest runners out there. Mm-hmm. Fifth. Katie Asmuth, sixth. Emily Hawgood, seventh. Heather Jackson, eighth. Taylor Nolan, ninth. And I've got to pull the emotional heartstrings and go with Casey Littie, tenth.
0: We've got about six or seven names in common. We've got a couple that uh, we, we wildly vary on, though. Um, I'm just going to start out by night by saying that Katie Scheid is not in my top ten, which is, uh, I got, you know, I have another question later on. It's uh, which, which pick might you regret? That's probably the one that I might regret. Um, number one, I've got Courtney. Uh, number two, I've got Keeley Henninger. Number three, Camille Heron. Although I have to hedge on Camille. like I feel like it's either going to be this or this. We just don't know. Until, like you said, as the snow keeps melting, it plays to her strengths.
1: Disclaimer, three of each of our picks are probably going to drop.
0: That's, <laughs> uh, that's, that's trail carnage. That's how it works. Yeah. Um, number four, I've got Casey. It seems like Casey is healthy, and we've been like maybe just kind of taking it for granted because she hasn't had like that wow result recently. But, you know, I mean, for not having a wow result, she still finished fourth at a 100, you know, and still finished, you know, strong at Black Canyon. It's like she's still out there kicking butt and taking names. And she
1: knows the course better than any of these on our list, except possibly Nicole Bitter. So Yeah, yeah.
0: absolutely. Um, Number five, I've got Leah Yingling. Um, Number six, Heather Jackson. Number seven, I've got Riley Brady. Now, Riley came out to having like hundred and posted a sub 15 hour race there. And I have no doubt that Riley, if they're ready to rock and roll, I saw them out at uh, the, the training camp, getting the miles in. I have no doubt that Riley has the foot speed to finish in the top 10.
1: I had I had them in that in that sort of 11 to 14 mm-hmm. area too. I saw Riley also at the training camp, great attitude, running with the group, taking in the course. It was a tough call. I as I think most viewers and listeners know, I tend to, you know, t- tie goes to the experience. That's and fair. I think this second the second 5 from last year they're so smart. There's so much experience. Riley ended up sort of 12th, 13th on my depth chart, but I wouldn't yeah. be at all surprised to see them slide into six, seven.
0: Uh, number eight. I've got Emily Hoggard. Emily, I didn't realize how great of a year she had last year. Like between Western States and UTMB, and it's like, you know, how can and only 28. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see Emily finish in, you know higher than eighth. Number nine. I've got a bit of a dark horse, uh, Mandy Holmes. So Mandy Holmes, this is her fourth or fifth time running Western States, and she's had a mixed bag here. I believe her best finish was 14th a few years ago. But I've also watched Mandy run, and she's a. if you're talking about a race where somebody has to be patient, uh, Mandy's going to be right there for it because we've seen her at Desert Solstice the last couple of years not be among the first two or three women to hit the 100-mile mark, but when 24 hours has you know, elapsed on the track at Central High School – Mandy's like second, third, fourth, and also has a, a national team spot. So I know that, and Mandy's also a Northern California native. So she's been doing the work up there. She's been, you know, she's put her time on the course. I saw her out at training camp as well, and and I feel like, you know, if not now, when? And you know, I think that this is that's this a is good, good shot. pick.
1: That's a that's a sneaky pick. And number ten,
0: I got to go with somebody. You know, that with you know talking about experience paying, I got Nicole Bitter at number ten. But that's the crazy thing is that, you know, I'm leaving people like Katie Scheid and Katie Azmuth and Megan Morgan and Taylor Nolan out of my top 10. Not because I don't think they're super talented. They are, but because this field is so tough to handicap.
1: Well, and same thing. I'm, I mean, I've, I've known Nicole Bitter for a decade. I can't believe I'm leaving her out. Yeah. You know, but but we decided that we're going to do 10 deep. And so we got to draw the line somewhere. Absolutely. But, uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. I'm, I'm curious about the tactics with the snow and the slop and then the not so hot temperatures. I think it's going to be a fascinating race to watch.
0: One more question about the women's field. Do you think that the winner breaks 17 hours? I think they're
1: going to be pretty close. Okay. I think, uh, I don't think, I don't think they break 1647, which is the course record. Yeah. But I do think they've been creeping closer. You know, Ruth Croft was in 17, 10, 11, something like that. I think they're pretty close. If it's not, if they don't break 17 to win this thing, you've got to be well below 1730. So the record on the women's side is just such a fascinating thing to
0: me. 1647. Uh, how did that happen and why has it been so untouchable for a decade
1: well first of all twenty twelve was an extraordinarily cool year so Uh, right now we're looking at uh... twenty twenty three having a high of eighty degrees in auburn which would be the a tie for the fourth coolest twenty twelve was a high of seventy one in auburn it actually (laughs) rained in robinson flat it rained on race day that combined with virtually no snow made uh, Ellie Greenwood and Timothy Olsen's course records. Timothy Olsen's course record has since been beaten. But the time, I mean, I think there were something like 146 silver buckles that year. Oh, wow. It was just an incredibly fast year. For uh, one, I regret I still didn't get to run. I oh. had battling a knee injury and I had to take that year off.
0: For frame of reference, the average number of silver buckles or sub 24 hour finishes is roughly about a hundred, give or yeah, take. Yeah, yeah,
1: it would be a hundred would be a little tiny bit above average, but okay. uh, I think they're going to exceed a hundred this year.
0: All right, uh, let's move on to the men's field. Um, this men's field. Uh, has no returning champions. Um, no, there we will have a new Western States champion on the men's side. Defending champion Adam Peterman, uh, had to bow out with injury, uh, basically, uh, I guess a hip fracture of some kind or some. Oh, oh, what's it called? It's some sort of
1: some in, in his sacrum, sacral yeah, sac- fracture. Again. Yeah.
0: Um, and that's you know, that's unfortunate, but uh, and of course, uh, You know, Jim Walmsley is, you know, working on things over in Europe. So uh, it's going to be a brand new day here at Western States, and we're going to be crowning a new champion. Um, There's a lot of international talent in this field. Uh, You're going to be heading out to Western States as part of the International Runner's Breakfast or dinner, dinner dinner tomorrow night. And uh, I'm sure that some of the names that I'm going to uh, reference and I'm sure you'll reference as well are going to be uh, a part of that event. Uh, where do we start when it comes to Western States? Uh, is there somebody that you feel that it's their race to lose or it's that they are the prohibitive favorite?
1: I don't think we have a, their race to lose, although some might disagree. I think we have at the very top, uh, we have, a we have a ton of experienced hundred mile runners. And so you've kind of, I've separated them into experienced hundred mile runners. Versus experienced at Western States uh-huh. runners. Um, and so in that first group, uh, you know, I think topping that list is Dakota Jones, who, you know, first qualified for Western States, I think in 2010 or 2011, <laughs> and, and t- for a variety of reasons turned down the spot. And and this year, finally, uh, at Havelina, where he broke the course record and was the only person to go An insane under, run. under 13 hours is the is certainly you know last year was uh second in ultra runner of the year voting basically on the on the grounds of you know hard rock and javelina so in the not run it before but is a stud uh you've got dakota jones at the top of the list next is cole watson one yeah. got his golden ticket at uh, Canyons is a local guy has hundred mile experience not at Western States. No, Cole
0: Cole didn't. No, he didn't make it. That's right. No, nope, that's right. He, he got third not. at and the... the
1: third of the hundred mile experience not run Western States was the guy who gave a scare to Killian at UTMB last year. Met you Blanchard uh-huh. from Germany and he was at the training camp and uh, and afforded himself well. So. 100 mile experience not run the race before you've got those three in the run the race before and have 100 mile experience I've got four: Arlen Glick, third place last year, Hayden Hawks, second place last year, Tom Evans, third place to Walmsley and Jared Hazen, and the only the third man to ever run under 15 hours at Western States. And Cody Lind. Cody Lind, two-time top tenor, fourth place two years ago, ninth place last year, uh, and has the bloodline at Western States. His grandfather was the medical director and a board member for 30 years at Western States. So I like that kind of Magnificent Seven if you will. And I know there's a lot of names I'm leaving off and we'll get into ordering them in a bit, (laughs) but I think the winner is coming from one of those seven.
0: Okay. That's fair. Um, Some of the names that, uh, that you didn't address that I'd like to bring up, um, uh, a couple of these international runners i have been doing a little bit of research on uh, s- some of the uh, runners who gained golden tickets uh, across the across the uh, globe uh, in Thailand. Um, one of them is Jaju uh, Zhao, and another one is Kanhua Luo. Are you familiar with either of them?
1: Say the first one again.
0: Jaju uh, Zhao. Jaju Zhao.
1: Yes. He, uh, I got... I saw his Strava splits. He did a little training camp with Jason Coop okay. the week after the Memorial Day training camp and he basically beat Walmsley's training run splits through the Canyons. He finished uh, second, so, I mean,
0: <laughs> He finished second at Canyon's Hundred Mile, 41 minutes ahead of Canyon Woodward. Yeah. Like I mean, yeah, you're exactly. talking about a guy with, with some speed to burn, only twenty-eight. You know, so that's one of those names I came across. Another one was uh the Canhua Luo. Um. Who uh, beat Debo at the uh, Marin 50 mile? So I mean, again, beat it by a minute. But you know, another you know highly talented international runner. Another international runner that uh, we
1: didn't even bring up is
0: Ludwig Pomerat.
1: I know, he, he, and he doesn't <laughs> seem to age. But he was he was in the top S- top six top six yeah, last year. Yeah. top
0: six. Um, you know, we've got other golden ticket winners such as. Uh, um, jp giblin daniel jones uh, anthony Costales, uh you know who came out here at black canyon and i don't know what it was but it seems like he was running angry that day <laughs> like it looked like he was feeling a little bit disrespected perhaps or maybe a little bit overlooked and boy he did not uh come away uh from
1: black canyon disappointed because he well and, and a note a note on Costales, uh probably the fastest marathoner in the course uh-huh. in the race i think tom evans has a one oh six half or one oh three half, but Costales has like a one a two two thirteen marathon or something. Wow. But he beat Tom. I mean, Tom Evans getting a lot of attention as the guy to beat in this race this year. Costales beat him and beat him pretty handily mm-hmm. out here at Black Canyon. And Black Canyon, by the way, in many ways mirrors a lot of the elevation change of Western states, a little bit of the trail surface. So don't go to sleep on on uh, Costales or or even you know Bandera's winner Jeff Colt.
0: Yeah. Uh, Another international runner I wanted to bring up is uh, Jasing Shen. Uh, This is another individual with uh, um, finished first at the Iger 101K last year, 40 minutes ahead of Pau Capel. Like (laughs) That's impressive. And also um, finished fourth at CCC last year, only five minutes more than Hayden Hawk's previous course record. Now, CCC last year was an extremely fast race Uh, if the fourth place finisher was only five minutes Behind Hayden Hawks' course record, but it shows that uh, you know he's capable of you know throwing down some fast times as well. Uh, originally from Kunming, which I know Kunming is like sixty five hundred feet elevation. I don't know if he lives there or trains there regularly, but uh, you know, probably having grown up in elevation, you know, probably doesn't hurt.
1: And i I think your I think this discussion right here is an excellent example of the continued globalization. Of our sport, and Absolutely. The, and both the wisdom and experience of the Western States organizers to to broaden the golden ticket opportunities for runners, to broaden uh, both the distances that they can run and the ways in which that they can that they can qualify. Uh, I, I think it adds a, an element of excitement to the race that uh, we haven't seen before.
0: I think that that's actually uh, an entire podcast in and of itself. I mean, one of the cool things about being at training camp this year and hanging out in Forest Hill at that little diner and grabbing our coffee, and all of a sudden it's tweeted by the race who the you know golden ticket races are, and all of a sudden the the cafe is a buzz, and <laughs> Craig Thornley walks in and he's kind of just like checking to see what the response <laughs> is on on social media. That was super cool to kind of be at ground zero for
1: you know the big announcement needless to say his phone blew up that day oh
0: i believe <laughs> it. yeah i mean he was right next to us in line okay. when it was all going down so it was cool to witness um i guess uh i'm just gonna jump right into my top 10 yeah. and then uh, we'll just yeah, hear from first. yours i went
1: first before so you should go first
0: all right um my number one i've got tom evans a sub 15 at western states has only been achieved by a handful of people and he's the only one here that's done it and I've seen him at yeah, Black Canyon. It almost looked like he was just kind of having fun out there, you know. And so, he and and finished second, I mean, that's that's pretty darn talented. So I think that Tom Evans is going to win. I've got Arlen Glick in second. Love Arlen. He's immensely talented, and like he's I he's always on the podium. I don't think he's ever actually not been on a podium for hundred miler, and he's run a lot of them in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. So I've got Arlen second. Uh, hopefully, uh, he has something left in the tank afterwards for, uh, uh for Silverton, uh, right. <laughs> next month, um, Dakota Jones, I've got third. That was a hard one because Dakota is such a wild card in, you know, we, he doesn't run these run fast races very often, but when he does, he does very well. You know, I mean, you know, what we saw at Havelina for him to break the course record was, was fantastic. I've got Hayden Hawks in fourth. And I guess that's the big four, you know, and and those four, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised in any way. It was more of like, okay, how can I justify this? Um, You know, Hayden has done very well here. Two top 10 finishes in the last two runnings. There's no doubt that he's got the talent to finish first. It's just basically, I got to pick somebody. Uh, Number five, I'm going to get a little bit crazy here. Um, I'm picking Ryan Montgomery. So Ryan wow. Montgomery uh, finishing second at Havillain 120 2021 was not able to take his golden ticket uh, last year. I believe he withdrew late due to injury, but uh, got himself another golden ticket at uh, Tarawera. So I think that uh, Ryan, he's also got a sub-13-hour 100-mile. So he's got the ability on trail, as we've seen here, um, and he's also got the flat-out speed that I think that Ryan, if he's healthy, could easily— uh, finish in the top 10. Um, number six, I've got Cole Watson. Uh, I love talking to Cole and seeing how enthusiastic he has become about ultra running. You know, obviously, uh, coming from a running shorter distance background, like talking to him at Havalina and at training camp, he's just so excitable. Like, I'm really excited to see his enthusiasm. Number seven, I've got uh, a personal friendly pick in Scott Traer. You know, we've oh, we've, nice. seen, we've seen Scott do great things here in Arizona. He had a top 10 finish last year. I, I don't see a reason even at, you know, they quote advanced age of 42 that he can't do it again. Um, in fact, fun fact about all of my top 10, everybody but Scott is between the ages of 28 and 32. Hmm. Um, number eight, I've got Jonathan Ray. We saw him, you know, run a 1305 at Havilena. He's also, he ran 16th last year at Western States, you know, very respectable for, I believe, his debut there. So Mm -hmm. there's no doubt that, you know, the difference between 16th and, you know, making a top 10 is is not so uh, overwhelming that it couldn't be, you know, that things couldn't roll differently for him. Um, Number nine, I've got Jeff Colt. Um, I have a feeling that if uh, I didn't, uh, that we would probably hear about it from Jeff Cold <laughs> on social media. So, but no, I think that, that Jeff uh, has uh, proven. I mean, he finished eleventh last year, and you know that's got to be the most frustrating oh finish gosh, yeah. in the entirety it's like of Western States. In the Olympics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I think that Jeff Cold will be finishing ninth and then tenth. I've got uh, one of our international runners, Jossing Shen. And again, you know, seeing that he dropped 40 minutes on Powell Capel and you know, was able to run CCC fairly close to what Hayden Hawks ran it, the guy's got talent. Yeah. So even though I literally have never seen him run, there's no doubt that the talent is there to potentially be a top-ten finisher. That's great.
1: Yeah. That's great. Well, we have the same top four in different order. Okay. Uh, so my Magnificent Seven remains intact. <laughs> uh, but I have Arlen Glick winning. I have Arlen Glick. Uh, he has done his homework. He came here last year. He has self-proclaimed eats hundred milers for breakfast. <laughs> Spent two and a half weeks out in uh, northern California on the course. I think the the knock on him that how can a guy from Ohio win Western States? I think will he will be uh, he'll be the this year's Mike Morton when Mike came from Virginia and won in 1997. Uh, Dakota Jones in second. Uh, I think Dakota is just primed. He's not going to waste his opportunity to be here. He is—he's uh, fun-loving. He doesn't take it as seriously as he did ten years ago. Uh, I think he's got a real good shot at uh, chasing Arlen down, possibly, uh, but certainly keeping Arlen honest. Third place, Hayden Hawks. Uh, I really like Hayden, and uh, I know—you uh, know—he went from ninth to second. Uh, Peterman's not back. Uh, but uh, I see Hayden in third, and then Tom Evans in fourth. So our top four are the same, just a little uh, mixed around there. And then I do have Cole Watson in fifth, machu Blanchard. I just can't ignore chasing Killian down at UTMB <laughs> in sixth, and then my sentimental favorite uh, of Cody Lind in seventh. So I take that. I take that magnificent seven, right? Arlen Dakota. Hayden, Tom, Machu, uh, oh, sorry, Cole, Machu, and Cody. And I only have three spots left, <laughs> right? And I'm thinking, okay, you've got all these names we've talked about, you know, guys who've done it in the past, guys who haven't done it in the past, guys who've impressed with the uh, golden tickets, guys who, you know, have, have been in the race before. So 8, 9, 10, I'm going in eighth with Anthony Costales, He could very well be significantly higher. So he's one of these, he's got some 100-mile experience, not Western States experience. Then I'm going with Tyler Green. We can't sleep on Tyler Green. Fourth place a couple years ago. He's been in the the hunt. He's smart. He will will lurk in the back and and then surge at the end. And then probably for similar reasons to you, Jeff Colt, 10th. You know, and and you know what, to be honest, if Jeff and Scott Traer are battling back and forth at 10th and 11th, I mean, that could be a race within a race worth following on the live stream because it could definitely happen.
0: Yeah. And again, you know, going through our, our picks, you know. We left off some extremely talented runners. We didn't even mention J.P. Giblin, right. you know, who, you know, won a golden ticket this year. Janusz Kowalczyk, who won golden ticket at Black, at Black Canyon. Canyon. And ran
1: great. Yeah.
0: Uh, Rod Farvard, uh, Adam Mary. Like, these are super talented runners that neither one of us picked in our top 10. But again, wouldn't surprise us probably in the least if they happened to sneak into the back half of the top 10 as well. So those are our picks. Um, I posted mine on the Free Trail Fantasy. Shout out to Free Trail for uh, offering this uh, opportunity for those of us uh, to embarrass ourselves with our picks and to keep them there for all uh, all time.
1: I'll, I'll steer clear of that, but I've got it on. <laughs> I've got them all on. I run far anyway, which. Might yeah. even be worse than free trail. <laughs> yeah, I can delete a tweet. You can't delete that.
0: So, um, one of the things that we did the last time we did a preview talking about Cocodona was we picked runners that are have a fascinating story to us, and I think we agreed that we were just going to pick a male and a female runner. Yeah. And uh, I guess uh, uh, I guess we'll just kind of take turns bouncing back you, and forth what you on want to, that.
1: Do you want to start with male or female?
0: Let's start with female.
1: Okay, why don't you go first with your female, intriguing, let's call it intriguing stories at this year.
0: Intriguing race. story. Yeah. So my female is Callie Vinson. Um, Callie is a local runner here to Arizona. She has an entry through a sponsor, uh, Gu. Uh, I believe her qualifier was Moab. And, the uh, Moab 240, yeah. thank you very much. Yeah, Moab 240. <laughs> and. <laughs> And so, uh, Callie has had a very interesting journey for those that are not familiar. Uh, she has lost over 200 pounds and is, uh, you know, an advocate for body positivity and has busted her ass to get herself in shape for this race. Uh, she has one of the best possible guidance, uh, sources, actually a couple of them, to be honest. Um, she, uh, you know, has been under the, I guess, uh. Um, tutelage of Scott Traer for one, and also Magdalena Boulet was, uh, helping to crew her at the, uh, training camp uh, because uh, Magda was who selected her to be, uh, Gu's, uh, sponsored runner this year. So, uh, Callie Vinson is, I, I hope she has the day of a life, uh, you know, day of her life out there. I hope that she, uh, accomplishes everything she sets out to and finishes this race and, and that people can appreciate her journey and feel inspired by it.
1: Well, that you shared with me the story of Callie, too, when we were driving home. and uh, We had a lot of time to she, talk about stuff. Has, <laughs> yeah, we did. But, but well-deserving of the goo spot in the race. And and the president of goo, Magdalena Boulet, a former a Cougar uh, winner at Western States, a member of the board of Western States, and Scott Trayer. Yeah, she will not. Callie will not be able to get away with saying I didn't know what I was in for <laughs> because she has uh, guidance and support uh, that's like world class. Yeah. On the women's side, speaking of sort of world class, I'm uh, I'm I've chosen for my intriguing story. Someone has been around the sport forever, uh, is a seven time Western States finisher and is 62 years old. And that's Pam Reed. Oh yeah, Pam has uh, is a, has been around Arizona quite a bit. She was the race director for the Tucson Marathon for almost thirty years. Uh, currently, splits time between uh, between here in Scottsdale and Wyoming, and has an incredible story. Uh, she's had her ups and downs, but about a year and a half ago, uh, broke her pelvis in the midst of a uh, Ironman triathlon race in a bicycling accident, uh, and then, as luck would have it. Found her name pulled in the Western States and Hard Rock lottery, (laughs) as well as a race that's near and dear to heart, the Badwater 135. She's a two time winner. Yeah. She's a former winner. So Pam is trying to do something that maybe it's been done before. We'll have to ask uh, Aid Station Fireball. But yeah, Liam, shout out. She is running Western, as a 62 year old, running Western States, Badwater, and Hard Rock in a 20 day period. Uh, And I've been talking to her. I've been talking, talking. I mean, I don't know. I mean, mean, if you figure Western States takes two days, Badwater takes two and a half days and Hard Rock takes two days. There's not many days in between for her to do that. But she's coming into Western States wanting to run her best. She's had a so-and-so build up. She, you know, had some great runs. She ended up missing the cutoff Mm -hmm. at Canyons. But she is primed and ready and comes to the race as someone with, you know, 250 ultra finishes comes to the race with a fair dose of humility, I would say in coming into Western States, knowing that she's not any younger, that it's still a hard race, that the cutoffs are tight, especially in the first 40 miles. And she has to come with her game face on. So I'm really excited to see how, how old Pam does and, and, uh, look forward to seeing her cross that finish line.
0: Uh, who's your, uh, male uh pick for someone to follow in the i guess the the non-elites
1: well before moving out here i was an old uh old beast coaster Mm. you know i was in the beast coast i was at beast coast for almost uh 15 years in between living here and now living here again and you know the the beastliest state in the beast coast is pennsylvania the rocks the the humidity the bugs the and we're blessed this year with a with a runner from Balakinwood, Pennsylvania, 75 years old, Gene Dykes. Oh, yeah, he is going to be he is he's 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 got a Havelina finish in, in, in his uh, resume somewhere around 29 and change. Um, but also more recently, back in March, in a fixed time 12 hour race. So this is just a little indication of his fitness. He exceeded 100 K. So around right around sixty-three miles, albeit a flat controlled environment. But a sixty-three miles in twelve hours. That's a lot. So he can cover the ground, right? And he's seventy-five years old. So um I think he has the he has the quite legitimate potential, especially now that we're seeing it's likely to be pretty cool on race day, or at least cooler. He's gonna have to get through the snow. But he has the potential to become the oldest finisher ever at Western States. Currently the oldest female finisher is 70 oldest male finisher is 73 he's full on 75 and he has a shot at finishing this thing so i can't wait to watch the beast coast zone ballot kinwood pennsylvania gene dykes
0: yeah gene dykes is immensely talented if you were to go uh if you're not familiar if you were to go on to uh, american records uh, websites for you know ultra distance Gene Dykes like basically age group you know oh 70 plus he he he's writing that book uh, as he goes and just kicking butt and taking names even at the age of 75 on the other end my male pick is the youngest person in the field mm-hmm. um, he is I say kid and I I, I don't want to marginalize him because he is so young he's 21 years of age and that's Zach Bates um, we've gotten to know Zach uh, here in Arizona because he is from the Pinetop area, and he races with Aerovipa events quite a bit. Uh, Zach is 21 years old, um, and Zach uh, is autistic, um, and uh, he is an inspiring person. He's been profiled by many uh, news media outlets about how he doesn't allow uh, his his diagnosis to uh define who he is you know it's a part of who he is but he's a runner damn it and he's not only that he's a fast runner too i mean sub 6 hour at crown king this year that's no joke um he's a sub 5 hour 50k runner uh it was weird uh, i actually saw him at training camp and got to talk to his mom a little bit as well actually after we saw the film um uh, after uh, i believe it was the sunday night run and, you know, the fact that, you know, I, w- I went up and, you know, said hi to Zach for a few minutes and she saw him talking to me and she didn't realize that, uh, you know, I guess the the local awareness of, of Zach and his inspiring story. So uh, I, Zach Bates is somebody not only who is going to come out there and finish this race, I wouldn't be surprised to see him finish sub 24 or, or sub 22, maybe not this year, but in the years to come, he's going to be a guy who is going to be a part of the scene for a long time. And not only has he got Western States on deck for uh, this summer, he's running UTMB too. So he's got a heck of a year coming up ahead of him at the ripe old age of 21, made it in on one ticket. And uh, I got to say, I'm really excited to see what Zach Bates does in this race.
1: Wow. That is a fantastic story. And, And I remember seeing him at the camp too. He was, he was obviously taking it in studying the course, taking his time at the aid station, you know, realizing the undertaking he was about to, you know, take on fantastic yeah
0: and he was one of the final people to actually come into michigan bluff on uh saturday yeah. when we were out there at training camp. that is not indicative of his true talent mm-hmm. he is fast and you know the fact i th- I believe if i remember correctly he was actually possibly kind of just hiking it out with his father mm-hmm. um and and kind of doing some course recon but that's one of the cool things about western states is uh, the training camp in particular that i notice is that you know, there are some people that are that were out there to peacock. There's no doubt. There were people that were out there to, like, throw down and put down fast times. And then, you know, for instance, you know, what was it, like, 45 minutes to an hour after the leaders came in to Rucky Chucky, along come uh, Arlen Glick and Annie Hughes, like, hanging out. I mean, talk about, like, super talented runners that are just kind of meandering through the – through the course and ha- you know having a fun day of it you know uh, so for those that haven't run western states and want to experience it go and check out the the memorial day weekend it's uh, as they say one of the best values in trail running oh my gosh, it's basically yeah. 50 55 dollars a day and you get you know bus shuttle from you know where you need to get to whether it be to the start or you know you start and then you you know run to the finish and they bust you back but you also get a lunch out of it and it's also an opportunity if you're a fanboy or fangirl of this sport man you mm-hmm. you're not gonna get an opportunity to have you know FaceTime with elite runners like you will uh at uh at training camp where it's a much more casual environment than perhaps any other opportunity in a, in
1: a, in a laid back place you get you the full full western states aid station treatment i mean the full buffet and and it's, it's beautiful it's yeah. beautiful but we've just highlighted this is something that's important we've highlighted you know 20 plus runners on the elite side highlighted four stories that we're interested in following. But the truth of the matter is there are 380 stories that yes. are gonna unfold uh, in just four days on Saturday. Every runner has a story, whether, it's, whether they were lucky enough to get picked with one ticket or they've waited eight, nine years to get in and they finally have their opportunity. And so when you see those stories unfold, when you see those runners finally arrive at the track and circle the track, with their crews and all the time and all the training and all the effort that's gone into it. it. It makes you realize that this really, this is an event that kind of transcends human experience on the mundane level and can really be transformative pe- for people, whether it's a 21 year old Zach Bates or a 75 year old Gene Dykes or anybody in between that can change lives. And and I think that's what that's what keeps me going back every year. And, and I think that's what makes it a special event.
0: Um, Bryce, do we have any questions or do you have time for a couple questions if any of you have come up in the chat or? Yeah, uh one second here. Okay. Uh well, Bryce is pulling that up. Um on the men's side, one of the questions I forgot to ask, will the ru- will the winner run sub 1530?
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You think? Yeah, I think they'll run sub 15. I don't think they'll really? run Yeah, now that it's going to be 80 degrees and I think once they make it through the snow, uh they will they'll be flying. So, I don't I don't see 1409 being threatened maybe 1430, but yeah, I think uh, I think the winner's going to have to go under 15. I didn't think that a week and a half ago, but I do now. Enough melting and enough cool race day temperatures.
0: One more quick question while Bryce is uh, queuing things up for us. Um, the coverage of Western states, I've had discussions with some people who are uh, have been covering these races for a long time, and it seems like every elite and some sub-elites seem to have like a film crew and uh, – <laughs> and a posse and a a whole, like, entourage even, um, every time they stop, uh, you know, is is this something that is good for the sport long-term, or do you think that there's a little bit of a saturation point that we might be hitting it uh, as uh, time goes on?
1: Good question. I think Western States is very much aware of it. So, you know, they have become more and more rigorous about their media credential, Policy. It's much more difficult to get a media credential than it might have been 10 years ago. So you know, for for media who get access to anywhere beyond the basic areas where runners can be crewed, that's highly limited. Aside from that, it's kind of free game. So this is why in a lot of these individually produced videos, you know, with a crew, with a camera crew chasing a runner around, you see every, you see Michigan, you see Robinson. Oh, it's crazy. You see Michigan bluff, you see Forest Hill, you know, and that's what you see. But uh, I think, I mean, it probably is a saturation point. I think, uh, I think the storytelling is perhaps more important if you think about the film that Sally McRae's crew made at Cocodona, mm-hmm. uh last month—a very, very thoughtful film. Absolutely. In many ways, it was uh, kind of a hybrid of what we're talking about. There's, there's not quite as rigorous media credential situation at Cocodona as there is at Western States, but private, privately, people can have cameras. And, and the beauty of the film Sally and her team created was you know her her pacers had cameras yes uh and were able to kind of follow along and chat with Sally and so forth and i could see that potentially happening in a, at a race like western states i haven't seen it happen in quite the professional way you know for a western states runner as as i saw it as Sally pull it off at at cocodona so i think that could be something that's interesting because i think where there is saturation is oh here's another video of someone in an aid station oh they're going <laughs> to dump ice over their head and they're going to eat food and they're going to change their shoes and you know and they're maybe going to say a few words uh, I People think do much, love that stuff, it, though. Right. They, do, they <laughs> do. But I think that could be a saturation point.
0: Bryce, do we have anything? Or we sure do. Let me turn my mic up a little bit. Sure. Maybe not that much. All right. Uh, so first question: If Mike McKnight gets in off the wait list, where does he fall in the results from Mallory? So Mike McKnight is about eight to 10 spots down. And the weird thing is we've talked about this. Maybe that's actually an aside that we could have. Like we have another friend locally, Lisa Kravitz, shout out Lisa, uh, who is about two spots behind Mike McKnight. And last year, Western States went off short two Mm entrants. So, I have told Lisa show up and I'm sure that Mike McKnight, if he's wanting to run the race this year is of the same mindset. There's a couple of California locals who are just right up the street. I believe one in Sacramento. That's there's only about 10, 15 names on the wait list left. But if Mike McKnight runs this race, I believe he's run it in the past, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think that he's necessarily a contender for the top 10. And that's not a strike against him and his talents, but it's just not his wheelhouse.
1: I think it's too short. (laughs) It's only 100 miles. And I think it's kind of too easy. Yeah. You know, uh, I I could see him, you know, being in the top 20. I think when he was here before, he did a. 21 22 hour type sure. thing but uh but on the wait list i do think it's important to note there could still be the where there might be room in the wait list right now this is tuesday before the race is some elites that might still drop that's you good know point. some elites who might just have a nagging injury they're waiting to the last minute uh to see if if it comes around so you know i would say to anybody on the wait list you know, if, if it's not too much of a burden for you to go out there to Olympic Valley, go out and try your luck and see if uh, if someone doesn't show up.
0: Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, talking about Mike McKnight, I would expect him to be in the 20, 21 hour range. Yeah, and, 20, and, 21 hour Which range. is an absolutely, it's probably, a, you know, top 25, top 30 time. But, you know, it's just not in the cards for him probably to be at the the lead pack in this kind of race. Because like you said, it's just too short and too flat. Yeah, it's too so. short and too
1: flat. Um
0: we're expecting cooler weather than normal um what does that mean for some of the racers are there any specific racers that come to mind that would have advantage with the cooler weather
1: i certainly think those runners from europe and those runners from colorado and the northwest and so forth uh will definitely have have an advantage, you know, the, the Dakotas of the world, the uh, uh, Tom Evans's and and Matthew Blanchard's the Courtney's, you know, we're talking about 80 degrees in Auburn. It's just conventional wisdom means it's going to be 90 90 at the most in El Dorado Canyon and 70 at Forest Hill based on that. I mean, people might be wearing puffies in Forest Hill. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it does level the playing field in those for those athletes who may come from more mountainous environments and, and you know, but, but everybody at this level, everybody's done their heat training. I think for the middle and back of the pack, As I said earlier, it means a lot of 24-hour buckles. It means if you can get to Robinson Flat, that next 70 miles, you're done with the snow. That next 70 miles is smooth sailing. It's 80 degrees. It might not be any warmer than it was for training weekend. I
0: was actually just going to say that. I think it was in the low 80s when we were there just a few weeks ago. And if that's what it's like, these runners are going to have... you know, It's going to be up to each individual runner, but there's no doubt if they've run qualifiers and they've made it this far into the process, the finisher rate could be I one of think, the highest uh, in history. I, I, was,
1: I think it could be a record finishers rate because the snow in the high country will keep people under control, and then the incredibly runnable conditions from Robinson to the finish will allow them to run fast. So uh, heads up, I think uh, we could have a record silver buckle year and a record finishers' year. I don't see course records going down again because of that first 30 miles.
0: Okay, um, I think we have time for one more, Bryce. Let's see, do you guys uh, do you guys have picks on who's going to run the fastest split around the track?
1: i I, i'll go i'll jump right in i you gotta go with you gotta go with the utah blast uh anthony costales i mean the guy (laughs) has incredible running form uh i think he will crush that that final 250 uh and and maybe get the get the segment on it um you know on the on the the women's side no matter where she ends up finishing you know she's going to Be ready to blaze at the end. I'm giving Nicole Bitter the uh, segment on the track for the women. I
0: cannot name names. But I feel it's going to be the final person to cross that finish line because it's, I, you know, it's going to be something where it's like super close. I mean, whether it be like Karen Bonet a couple years ago or well, Paul Bonet a couple years ago, like where it's going to come down to you know needing to get it done and you know maybe with seconds to spare. You know, that's such an inspiring thing to see. Uh, you know, following it on the live stream you know, last year with uh, I can't remember her name, but the woman who just missed by about two minutes, I was crying while watching it. I couldn't help but just feel so gutted for her. So
1: the fastest split will be the last (laughs) runner. I believe so. I think that that's a, it's a a
0: (laughs) kind of a hot take, but uh, it's what I've got. I also have one last thing uh, before we wrap things up. So we've talked about, um, you know, your affinity for Western States. And uh, obviously uh, if you want to check out AJW's Instagram, uh, he's got his buckles and his, uh, uh, m1 m10s and m6 he like has top 10 bibs posted in a, a cool little arrangement so I have a souvenir that was given to me but I already had it so I'm re-gifting this in the interest of full disclosure but it's something that we talked about briefly but uh so this, is oh the gosh, Coconino yeah. Cowboys Jamboree poster from 2018 autographed by all the original Coconino Cowboys, <laughs> and I am gifting this nice. to you. Uh, as you can put it as part of your Western States memorabilia and memories collection, it was uh, a limited edition throw-in from uh, Chris Thornley at Squirrel's Nut Butter. If you made like a certain size order, then and you actually got a uh, an autographed Squirrel's Nut Butter. Uh, stick like this the the case was autographed by all the cowboys as well but i don't think that anybody would want that regifted to them thank you very <laughs> but much no I problem
1: will, uh, i'll hang it in my podcast studio yeah just a little <laughs> just a little
0: piece of history that i thought was uh, you know from a, a, lot, a fun Chris. time and fun That's era fantastic. so uh i guess that about wraps it up for us here um AGW, always a pleasure i love talking i mean we do this off the air in the interest of like being completely transparent AJW and I are talking races and running all the time, whether it be while we're road tripping or whether we're in a, you know, our group text with our friend, Matt Feldake and, you know, and and so we are, you know, this is just another opportunity for us to do something we love doing anyways. So, well,
1: thanks a lot for having me on. And, uh, I can't wait to get in the car tomorrow morning and get up there. So it's going to be a great weekend. It's the best week of the year. So for everybody absolutely. running, have a great race for everybody following along enjoy And, uh, let's enjoy this triumph of the human spirit.
0: All right, thank you very much, everybody. Uh, have a good week. Uh, be sure to everybody. tune in.
1: Yeah. Bye bye.